Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Radford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In this episode, we're going to be talking about failure, what it is, how society sets Black entrepreneurs up for it, and how to overcome our fear of it. Joining me for this conversation is Cameron Carter, CEO and co-founder of Rose, which is a platform for individuals with physical disabilities and seniors to complete home remodeling projects so that they can age at home with dignity. Before we get started, we'd like to thank Care Content, our partner for producing this podcast. Care Content is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps healthcare organizations create a web presence that reaches their audiences. If your health system needs help with digital marketing, website redesigns, or social media, please visit carecontent.com. Now, let's dive right into our discussion with Cameron Carter. Cameron, welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Pleasant. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. We are super excited to dive into this topic with you as it relates to entrepreneurship and how that can be a challenge for many of us in the Black community and how we overcome that, how we overcome that challenge. The first question that I wanted to start off with is really about your personal journey, your personal story. And if you don't mind just telling us how you got into healthcare and if there was any specific moment or motivation, inspiration behind the path that you set for yourself. For me, I actually started in healthcare really from the perspective of sports. So did track and field in undergrad, did track and coaching track and field in grad school. And at the same time, was studying healthcare, more specifically healthcare disparities, and really trying to understand sort of the impact that I could have in that space to really eradicate healthcare disparities, but also from the lens of improving healthcare, you know, from the lens of, you know, the best performance and the best human performance possible. Over time, however, you know, I got really exposed to just inequities, you know, the different types of disparities that exist in communities of color. And I really had sort of a pull to really help with that to really serve in that space. And as I went through academia, um, my whole focus is really understanding how can I make an impact at scale? And more specifically, how can I make an impact at scale for folks who otherwise aren't at the boardroom tables and don't have a say in some of the program designs? And for me, it was really a passion of mine to be that voice for the voiceless. You know, there wasn't necessarily a specific moment or motivation, you know, that I would say is like this one thing. It was really a cacophony of my lived experiences and seeing healthcare, you know, not so much show up for my family members and my community and really want to do my best to see a better experience. That's something I've been motivated by ever since. And I'm still motivated by now as an entrepreneur. That's great. Let's continue our conversation and dive into the importance of Black entrepreneurs and startups within our healthcare system. We know that we're still underrepresented when it comes to being a part of large health systems and and really helping to influence and shape the policies and procedures and the funding that are provided for Black communities and, and many other communities. So in your opinion, why is it important for healthcare executives to care about Black entrepreneurship and startups? 
For me, I'd answer with the perspective that culture is currency, culture is an asset. And I believe to not really bring that context and that lived experience into decision-making strategies and operations of businesses is really doing a disservice to healthcare operators and healthcare leaders in the space, not only today, but also in the future. As you think about the aging population, as you think about the browning of America, as you think about having a much more diverse patient population, it's really important that the folks at the top understand that lived experiences do have outside impact and outside value to the patient population. That can happen, you know, as, as simple as patient engagement, making sure folks have the right language they speak, but more importantly, having the right trust and relationship with your providers, trust and relationship with your clinicians. And a lot of these things, you know, play a role in the full stack of a hospital system or a health insurance company or any other provider organization from your hiring to your retention plans to how you think about upward mobility within the organization. So I think when you don't really consider the aspect of where someone's from and their ability to deliver as an entrepreneur and also as a startup executive, I think it's something that's lost. I think what's more important as we continue to move forward, you know, when you think about healthcare specifically, you know, healthcare disparities, healthcare equity is becoming not just a buzzword or lip service, it's becoming really important to the revenue that these individual organizations are looking to actually to see, you know, whether it's ACO reach whether it's different types of CSNP or DSNP products, you know, race and, and, and demographics are an important component of that. So to have someone who's really aware of that, understands the community, understands how to engage in the community and engage in the community at scale is something that's super important. And I don't necessarily think it's just at the entrepreneurship level. I think about it as far as who will be running these organizations in the next 10 or 15 years. You know, I just take away is that culture is an asset. Culture is, is, is capital. And it's one that needs to be prioritized. And I think for Black entrepreneurs as well as Black entrepreneurs and startups, it needs to be at the forefront. Um, and it's super important as we get into the 2020s and the 2030s and the change in demographics of the U.S. healthcare system. I love that. Culture is currency. Culture is an asset. Absolutely agree. Now, two years ago, since it's 2023, hard to believe, you co-founded Rose, a company connecting people to service providers like home contractors and occupational therapists to complete accessible home assessments and accessible home modifications at a client's primary home, rental property, or even at their business. Can you talk a little bit more about Rose and your motivation to start Rose and how you hope it can transform how we think about accessibility. Rose actually started um, from the lens of sort of a business decision. Um, I used to work at a company called Bright Health where I was overseeing the supplemental benefit vertical. So that would be your dental, your vision, your hearing, your transportation services. And one of the experiences that we saw with our patient population were in-home falls were a large cost driver. And we didn't have a real, a real strong solution to really support that in preventative space and home modifications, which are actually covered for all Medicaid plans, as well as uh, the VA, it wasn't covered for Medicare Advantage. And it was one of these concepts of saying, you know, I love for one day for this to be a covered benefit so I can actually use it in my supplemental benefit portfolio. And it was in 2021 where it became legal for that to happen. So that was sort of the first driver. And then the second driver was more personal. Um, so for me, during the pandemic, and when I was home in California with my family and my aunt actually had um, an issue where she had trouble entering and exiting her home. She has a couple of steps in the front of her house, but she also has multiple sclerosis, which means her gates, you know, challenged. And uh, my cousin actually built her a ramp in front of her home and in the side of her home to help her enter and exit the home, you know, safely. And I really start to understand the intersection of housing and health. And really looking at it from the lens that it's not my aunt's fault, you know, for her condition, but it's really the built environment that just isn't really built for her. And the more I looked into that space, the more I understood, you know, not only was it 
you know, community of where I was at at Compton, California, but also an experience that was seeing uh, disproportionate for black and brown homeowners, particularly black and brown homeowners who are in that 50 to 60 year old age range where they may have the only asset of their entire living, you know, their biggest asset is their home. They don't want to leave. They want to age in place and age with dignity. So for me, I thought of it as, you know, how can I find a bridge between the U.S. healthcare system and the U.S. home improvement industry to really understand how to reimagine physical spaces care to make the world not only accessible today, but accessible in the future. When I think about accessibility, it's one where if you think about the natural arc of life, having a disability or having challenges, physical challenges, is actually a natural part of a lived experience. But when we think about the built environment, the infrastructure of the U.S., it's not really built for that. So the way we thought of it is saying, how can we leverage what we understand in healthcare, technology, and operations to build an experience that enables somebody to not only live with, you know, the age with dignity, but also the age and dignity wherever they choose to. So it's not that someone you know, becomes 70 or 80 or 90 and has to go to a nursing home. Maybe you can modify the home they live in to really account for their physical changes. Um, and I think the other piece to it is that research has already shown that home modifications is a really strong uh, non-clinical intervention to reduce cost. So I know it's a really important opportunity for health plans, um, provider organizations, as well as you know agencies on aging to really lean into home modifications as a new tool to improve the health span of their population are able to serve. So that really drove uh, Rose as far as my professional and personal experience. And then we're thinking about moving forward. It's really saying, how can we improve the built environment to help an aging society, which is what we have today in the U.S.? One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight the North Omaha Area Health Clinic, or NOAA Clinic, in Omaha, Nebraska. The NOAA Clinic provides no-cost or low-cost health services, personal health screenings, health classes, and support groups to help young people connect with their health journey. For more information, please go to noaclinic.org. Now, let's get back to our discussion. As you mentioned earlier, you have a background in sports medicine and kinesiology. How do you leverage that background into your recent work in terms of tailoring the products to the members that you serve? I have sort of a two answers to this. The first is really understanding the importance of connecting the head and the body. My time in undergrad, you know, training with Olympians and understanding track and field, the mental health and the physical health are really tied together. So I really bring that empathy to the experience to make sure we're not only measuring and, and tailoring the experience to improve both the mental and the physical health, but also understanding that there's a huge value in actually doing that. You know, to really help individuals understand, so how do I address the anxiety, your depression, have the right measurement sticks for it as well, but ensuring that we're not discounting it because it's not necessarily the most um, prioritized metrics you may see compared to maybe a diabetes or, you know, a kidney care outcome and things of that nature. The second, and this goes back to my experience, you know, in track, but also working with other folks in the kinesiology space is that everybody needs a plan, but it's important to empathize with the start of that plan. You know, whether someone's trying to lose weight, whether someone's trying to change a physical activity regimen, or someone's trying to live with a new type of diagnosis, it takes a plan and it takes a community. 
So when I think about building products, when I think about the technology, when I think about folks that we bring on to Rose, it's really helping to understand that the folks who are there understand it as well. The one thing I would say is that when you, when you spend time operating health organizations, you recognize the, the importance and the power of patients and patients with the patient population you work with. Because as much as I may see folks with diabetes every day, for this individual I see today, this is the first time I ever heard about it. First time I ever thought about statins or other types of drugs. So it's important to really enter these spaces with patients. So I think about ROSE itself is having the patients understand that home modifications, though they may seem great for some folks, they haven't thought about it. They may not want to do it. So I really kind of engage individuals, engage PCPs, engage other types of you know, physicians with that patient to say, here's the benefit, here's the value proposition, and here's the ease at which you can actually get this done. Plus, there's already money available for this. You know, how can we move forward on this and help you with this? So when I think about my experience with kinesiology and other, you know, other components of that, I really bring that planned experience as well, but also bring the understanding of the mental and the physical health being combined to really support a patient. I love that. You, as the maestro of the orchestra, are bringing all the different things together to work for Rose. Let's get into the topic, failure. Is failure too big a burden for Black entrepreneurs to overcome? So when starting your, your own healthcare company, you know that there's a possibility of a failure, and it can be a huge barrier for us in the Black community to overcome. And so, can you talk a little bit about how you cope with failure, how you cope with um, moving past things that didn't work the way that you wanted to, and how it's helping you with Rose? Failure is something that, you know, I look at, you know, as a, as a positive, you know, sometimes I call it divine rejections, you know, whether it's times where I've applied to try to get into business school or times I've tried to launch different products before times I've tried to you know, move forward on certain initiatives and haven't worked. Sometimes it just it wasn't the right time, you know, and it's tough. It's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow. And it's one that I always think about as a lesson to be learned. It may not happen today, but it may happen in the future. You know, I think about moving past failure, moving past some of these experiences. I would say the one thing I've done is really ensure I have a really great team around me, both with family and friends that can keep me humble, help me to see beyond maybe my own perspective, see the periphery, um, and leaning into them and trusting them. And these are individuals that are younger than me, the same age as me, older than me, folks from different, you know, walks of life as well. And I think having an integrated team around me to help me with those experiences has been mission critical, dating back to, you know, even when I was an athlete in undergrad, you know, more than a decade ago. That's one of the components I would say is really beneficial is having that team around you to keep you humble, to keep you aware, and also keep you motivated. Um, and I think the other piece to it, as I think about moving forward with Rose, with any startup, you're in the fluke business. Statistics are sort of up against everybody to not work. And I think it's important that you have to lean into that, trust that, and say, you know, why not me, though? Why can't I not be the story that people read about in 10 years? I mean, it's going to take you 10 years to be overnight success. So, you know, having that patience and delivering against your executed plan with the right team around you, you have to just trust that it's the right, it's the right path forward. It's going to be tough, you know, late nights, early mornings. But you have to just continue to show up. And as I've talked to other founders, other investors, and other folks who are in the industry, it's just really about showing up every single day and chipping away at this plan, this vision that you have, um, and then being willing to learn and willing to listen. You know, I think about failure as one that can be a motivator, but I think it's a temporary motivator. So it's one where you have to expect that there are going to be some challenges and headwinds in front of you, but you have to continue to show up and, and move past these hurdles. And I think that's the part that for me, I'm bringing into creating rows where it may be as difficult as getting someone to sign up or getting someone to maybe understand their benefits. And it's like, this is an opportunity that I can't wait to have. 
I can't wait to solve these problems or solve these different headwinds tomorrow's in front of us. And, you know, the failure part is, is something that I think is adjacent to what we're doing, but it's not something that it's either leading me or motivating me. Um, it's just a part of the reality that I find myself in. I love that positive mindset that you bring as you look at the potential of failure or even missed opportunities. So thank you for that answer. Mm -hmm. The possibility of failure, as we know, doesn't solely fall on the entrepreneur. Sometimes it can feel, especially for Black entrepreneurs, as if society has set us up to fail. And so what changes do you hope to see in the next 10 years that better support Black entrepreneurs? Mm, next 10 years. Uh, for me, I would say it starts with folks giving back and giving back without expectation. You know, I grew up in uh, Compton, California. I tell people all the time, you know, I love my experience because a lot of the folks who were able to find success, whether it be through sports or entertainment, always came back and helped folks understand what are the next steps to move forward? How do you navigate some of these other things? And, and it's really done from a, a, a place of being the person you needed when you were in that person's, in, that person's shoes. So I look forward to being that for others as well, and, and particularly those in the Black entrepreneurship space when they say, Cameron, when should I leave my company? How should I think about raising funds? What are some terms in the term sheet that I should be mindful of? What's my first hire? And just being very honest about these things with these individuals and, and also seeking them out. I think a lot of times there's this, I don't know, entitlement where you kind of sit there on your, you know, on your mountaintop because you've been successful and you're like, well, I hope someone can find me. And it's like, no, go find them. Really reduce the burden that someone's having to go through as an entrepreneur and a system that, to your point, is not set up for them to be successful. A lot of these folks may not come from a family of entrepreneurs or a family with deep pockets or a family who understands the venture capital space. So help them with that. And I think the other thing that I'm excited about over the next 10 years is you have more folks like myself who've been at, you know, two, three, four different startups, have success, have launched their own startup to come back and just be mentors for individuals and say, listen, like, text me, call me whenever. You know, it's something I do now with folks in the industry where they're trying to navigate their career. And I think the next chapter for me is then saying, okay, if you're going to navigate your career from employee to employer or from, you know, to owner, I can provide that context as well. Because I think for me, if I can do it, anybody can do it. You know, I didn't come from, you know, any type of family environment that would lead you to believe that I would be in this situation, but I come from a family environment of hard workers. So as long as folks are willing to put the work in, I'm willing to support their work ethic. And I think over the next 10 years or even longer than that, you're going to start to see more capital come into this space. You're going to see more support, but you're also going to see more new, new healthcare problems that are only going to be solved by folks who understand that space and particularly that Black community space. So I think it's important to have more Black entrepreneurs. But I also think it's more important for you know, legacy Black entrepreneurs to come back and to help these individuals not only open doors, but keep doors open. Love it. Any final advice that you want to share to our listeners who have an interest in building their own healthcare startup? The first thing I would tell folks to do is whatever you're trying to work on, understand the history of it. It's rare that you're going to be able to open up or, or see, a, see a problem that no one ever seen before, or no one's ever tried to solve before. So really start retrospective, understand sort of what has gotten the industry to where it is today. Not only is that important for you, it's also important for folks who are working on it to really build trust with them. They can say, well, you know, Cameron's been doing this, he understands home modifications. For context, you know, I took a course at USC that was six months long on home modifications with contractors. So I can understand what their experience was so I can better support them. So really understanding the history of what you're working on is really important. The second is be a student of what you're working on as well. Continue to learn, continue to ask questions, continue to humble yourself in spaces, continue to find ways to 
grow your own knowledge bank. That's only going to help you be better, but it's also going to help you to understand, you know, if you're going to build a company, whom should you hire, right? Because you may see yourself as, you know, having a weakness and you can understand that by being a student of the space. And then the third thing that I would leave you with is just be humble. You know, and as difficult this is going to be, you're going to need help. You want to be humble when you, when you seek that help. Um, and then as you think about where you want to be in the future, it's important to really see yourself as a ground individual, especially when leading an organization. So, um, you know, my three tips is, again, stay humble, be a continuous learner, and make sure you understand the history of the space you're entering because it's going to help you answer questions that you may not know about yet, but it's a beautiful experience because the magic you're looking for is in the work you may not have done yet. So just do the work. You'll be excited about what results occur over time. Cameron Carter. CEO and co-founder of Rose, thank you so much for joining our podcast and being real about the possibility of failure, but then also talking about the hope that you see with us in this space of entrepreneurship and startups. Thank you so much again. Thank you for having me again, Pleasant. Appreciate the opportunity. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.